So today we are beginning a brand new series on the power of love when it comes to our giving. Uh, naturally, we think about giving this time of year, right, as we're approaching the holidays. C- can you believe we're like just over a week away from Thanksgiving already? I cannot believe it. It's already that time again. It's actually getting a little chilly outside. All of us Tucsonians are having to find coats again, right, because it's below 60 degrees now, right? So we actually need them, right? Through this series, though, what we're going to see is that giving isn't just something that we do over the holidays or certain times of the year because that's what everybody does. But what we're going to see is that we're called to give every day motivated by love because that's what God does. You know, there's this one kind of giving that's dictated by Hallmark and Walmart and these other big box stores who are trying to get turn a buck off of us. But God isn't motivated by the holidays when he gives. Thank God for that. And he teaches us that he wants us to give not based off of a calendar, but, by based, but based off of selfless love. God, we're going to see through this series, is a selfless giver. And God doesn't give based off of a calendar. He gives based out of his selfless love for us. What we're going to see actually today as we start this series is this, that we're most like God when we selflessly give out of love. Selfless giving is based out of love. And it prioritizes God's desires over our own. And it shows the world in all of its temptations that it can't win, its, can't win us over. Let me give you an example. Think, if you can, think back on a time in your life when you, maybe when you were a child, when you were young, and you were exceedingly generous. Can you think of a time, maybe a moment in your life when you were younger, when that happened for you? Maybe there was this day when you were out playing with some other kids and you had just favorite toy with you, and something inside of you was calling you to give that toy away to that other kid, right? And it meant so much to you. Or maybe, maybe it was an allowance that you've been saving up for that one thing at the store, right? And then all of a sudden God puts on your heart this desire to give that money to someone else. And you look back on it now and you think, oh, that was so, that was so little, that was so minuscule, it was so funny. But at that time for you, that was a big deal, wasn't it? Can you think back on one of those moments when that happened for you? You know, when I think about that for my own life, I think back to when I was a teenager. And I used to work throughout the year doing odd jobs for my grandparents and other people to try to save money because I had this crazy teenage desire. I loved to shop for family and friends at Christmas time. And not just say that I bought them a little something for a dollar in the store. I meant I worked all year long to try to save up everything I could to try to just totally surprise them. And I was one of these kids, teenagers, it was just methodical. I would study my family members. I would study my friends. I would figure out what is that one thing that when they open this up, they're going to be like, whoa, I can't believe you got me this, right? And that was, a, that was just a big deal for me. Now, I, I actually enjoyed more watching them open their presents on Christmas than I actually opened, enjoyed opening the presents they gave me. Now, full disclosure... More than all that, I enjoyed getting, waking up really early on Christmas morning because Santa had some gifts for me in the living room on the floor. And that was what I really enjoyed the most. Not a, an angel or anything here as a kid. But for me, it was, it was so meaningful in those moments to be able to give someone something, even as a kid, and to watch someone light up inside, right? And for many of us, even as we've gotten older, that, that desire, that passion is still there. That, that 
that passion, that desire for giving is harder today than it's ever been before, I think, in our history. Because there are advertisers and marketing out there that is trying to do everything it can to create this sense of dissatisfaction in us. To tell us that we need some of the things that we don't have. Advertising is so pervasive today, so manipulative and so calculating that we're always in this state, whether we recognize it or not, of thinking about something that we need that we don't have, right? I honestly, I feel sorry for parents today trying to raise young kids with all the onslaught that's coming at our kids these days. We can try to teach our kids generosity, but they are getting bombarded with thousands of messages every week telling them that they need something that they don't have and how unsatisfying life is until they get it. I mean, did you know that these days advertisers are even marketing to babies? Did you know that? Seven years ago, a study came out, and it was printed in Time magazine to start with, that said that advertisers, that marketers, many years ago started targeting infants and toddlers because they felt they recognized that their little minds hadn't fully formed yet, and they couldn't tell the difference between a cartoon and an advertisement. And there's a guy who was a former marketing executive, one of the big names, uh, guys who worked for Hasbro and Mattel and Nestle and several other companies. He actually was raised in Casa Grande. And when he finally got out of the industry, this is what he told Time Magazine. He said, we learned that babies don't distinguish between reality and fantasy, so they think, let's get them while they're susceptible. Let me give you an example. Uh, these days... They, you don't just find Elmo dolls for sale in the toy store, right? You, they sell a brand because they know that the brand is what will really get people. So they have Elmo DVDs, and then they have Elmo books to read to your kids at story time, and Elmo pillowcases and sheets for the bed, right? And Elmo sippy cups, and Elmo baby bibs, and Elmo fruit juice boxes, and Elmo fruit snacks, and Elmo... Potty trainers. I even saw one of those online this week. And Elmo pacifiers. And then they have Elmo video games and Elmo smartphone apps to keep your kids wired to Elmo every single moment that they think about it. I found over two dozen apps in the app, my, my phone's app store for Elmo games. Why? To constantly drive into our little kids a brand and constantly have them thinking, I want more of that thing, that brand, that name whether it's Elmo or whatever it is. And as soon as our kids grow out of Elmo and they grow into something else, whether it be Pokemon or Disney princesses or the amazing world of Gumball, there's a brand around it to get our kids to buy more and to have them be dissatisfied with what they have. Time Magazine said in this article, they said, kids marketing and screen exposure together is one of the major public health problems of the 21st century. Now, that seems kind of surprising, doesn't it, that they would go that far? But when you dig deeper into the article, what they say is the rationale for that is it's these, things, these two things together are taking away kids' imaginations, their desire to play creatively, and it puts in those, our young kids' minds that they can't be happy, they can't enjoy themselves unless they have those brands, those things, those toys to entertain them. Listen to what one, one quote in the, from this article. It says, Many of the major public health and social issues harming children today are linked directly to advertising and marketing. It isn't products alone that are marketed to children. It's also values and behaviors that are antithetical to most spiritual values. This is Time Magazine. 
Children learn behaviors and values from not just their parents, but from the society around them. Right now, the culture of childhood is dominated, notice this, by unthinking brand loyalty, conformity, me first, and self-indulgence. Wow. This is the world we're living in. This is the world we are called as parents to raise future Christ followers in. A world that's teaching our kids, even in their terrible twos, me first. Right? You don't have enough. You need this or that. And into this world, our Creator speaks in Scripture. He spoke a long time ago when he's speaking a very timely message to us today about the value of giving and not just accumulating and consuming. So I want to encourage you to turn with me, if you would, to Deuteronomy chapter 26. We're going to spend a little bit of time looking at a passage of Scripture there today. Deuteronomy 26. Uh, It's the fifth book in the Bible, so if you start at the beginning and turn a few pages, you should find it. Or just go to mygrace.church in your web browser and you can click on the sermon notes tab there and read the scriptures along with us. Now as you're finding it, let me just kind of paint a picture for you. Thousands of years ago, God's people, the Hebrews, had been delivered out of slavery in Egypt, right? And they were walking across the desert. It took them 40 years to figure out how to make their way across the desert pre-GPS, right? And they finally get close to the promised land, this place that God was going to give them. And before they get there, God says, okay, guys, wait just a minute. Before we go in, before I give you this land and you start accumulating things for the first time, I want to prepare you for how to give and give from your heart. So this is what God says in Deuteronomy chapter 26. Listen to this. God says, when you enter the land, the Lord your God is giving you as a special possession, and you have conquered it all, And settled there. Put some of the first produce from each crop you harvest into a basket. And bring it to the designated place of worship. The place the Lord your God chooses for his name to be honored. Go to the priest in charge at that time and say to him, With this gift I acknowledge to the Lord your God that I have entered the land he swore to our ancestors he would give us. The priest will then take the basket from your hand and set it before the altar. Of your God. And it says in verse 5, You must then say in the presence of the Lord your God these words, My ancestor Jacob was a wandering Aramean who went to live as a foreigner in Egypt. His family arrived few in number, but in Egypt they became a large and mighty nation. When the, Egypts, when the Egyptians oppressed and humiliated us by making us their slaves, we cried out to the Lord, the God of our ancestors. He heard our cries and saw our hardship, toil, and oppression. So the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a strong hand and a powerful arm, with overwhelming terror and with miraculous signs and wonders. He brought us to this place and gave us this land flowing with milk and honey. And now, O Lord, I have brought you the first portion of the harvest you have given me from the ground. Then place the produce before the Lord your God and bow down to the ground and worship before him. Afterwards, you may go and celebrate because of all the good things your Lord has given to you and your household. Remember to include the Levites and the foreigners living among you in this celebration. So, this is a passage of Scripture. That, this is a, these are the words from God to the Hebrew people just before they're going into the Promised Land. Just before they're going to come to a place where they can settle down and they can start living a life of prosperity for the first time. 
And so God is reminding them to remember where everything, what, everything they are given, where it comes from, right? God's calling them in this moment to be, get into the habit of giving a first fruits offering, which was a farmer's way back then of giving his tithes and offerings back to God. The principle of the tithe goes all the way back to Genesis, the beginning of Genesis. In Genesis chapter 4, Adam and Eve's kids, Cain and Abel, were called to give the first fruits from the ground and to give a tithe. And Abel's sacrifice was accepted and Cain's wasn't because Abel gave as God instructed. But Cain just gave a little bit of the leftovers from what he had left at that time. For example, uh, today, my dad and my brother are still farmers in Georgia, even to this day. And, and every year around this time, they're they having their harvest season, and they're gathering all these crops together, and they're not, they're not bringing a tenth of their cotton and peanuts to the local church in Sardis, Georgia, to basically dump it on the front steps. They gather this, and they bring it to a selling, to a distribution point, they are, all, the the crops are judged for their quality, and my dad has cut this really big check once a year. And the, one of the first things my dad does, once he gets that check and he deposits it, <laughs> is he goes home, he opens up his checkbook, and he writes a check to that little church in Sardis, Georgia, for a tenth of what he was just given. That is a habit that I have seen my dad practice all of my life as a kid. Now, these days, you know, everybody's giving on with smartphones and they're giving online. I mean, I always give my giving online. I don't want to have to think about it and I have it done through Realm, our, our, our web portal here at Grace. But my dad is old school. He's pushing seven years old. He doesn't want to use an app. He wants to physically write a check and he wants to put that in the offering. For him, that is a deep spiritual moment in his connection to God where he says, God, you gave me all of this this year and this is my offering back to you. It's an act of worship for him, between him and God. Now, by giving God the first fruits each year, the Israelites recognized, and, and we acknowledge three things. Number one, that our income comes from God, and that God calls us to give a portion of it back, because he has given us the ability to work. I mean, as I was reading in Deuteronomy 26 here, what you saw is that they didn't just come and drop the, the check off or the, the grain off or the livestock off and then walk away. They were called, as they were doing so, to say certain words, right? To remember that God had given them all that they had in the first place. It was a, rem it was a time of worship as they recognized that God was the giver of all those gifts, even giving them the ability to work in the first place. The second thing that we learn about giving of the first fruits is that we are to trust in God's provision. One of the interesting things when you dig into this idea of first fruits back in the Old Testament is they were called to give that first tenth of their crops before they even harvested the rest of their fields. They weren't to glean the edges of the fields, you know, just get what was, you know, the, the, the crops that weren't as good. They were to give the best of their crops and they were to give the first of their crops. So they were called to give the first 10%, or if they had livestock, they were called to give one out of every tenth animal, the best animals that they had, back to God. And they would give these crops even before the rest of the crops had been harvested. That was an act of faith. That was an act of trust. That was where they were saying, God, I know that everything that you've given me is a gift, and I know that I can trust you by giving this first tenth now, even before the other nine tenths comes in. 
And for us, as givers in the 21st century, as followers of God, we, were, we give a tenth of our income, not after all the bills are paid and we see if there's enough left over. But God calls us in faith and trust to give a tenth of our income back to God and give it first. Give our best and give our first to Him as an act of faith and trust. And lastly, out of love and gratitude, God deserves our first and our best. And that's what we're talking about here with this first fruits offering. God didn't want us to just give a little bit off the top, a little bit, about, a little bit of what's left over. He wants us to give him our first and our best as an act of worship to him. God made it clear in Malachi chapter 3 that there was a time in the history of the church when they were giving a little bit of what was left over rather than their first fruits. And God said in that moment, you're robbing me. You're cheating me because I've given you all of this and you can't even give me what I've asked you to give me back. You see, God doesn't ask us to give a tenth of what we earn because he needs it. It's because we need it. We need to learn to be givers because God is a giver. We need to learn to give sacrificially because God is a sacrificial giver. I mean, really, when you think about it, God gave first, and God gave his best. God gave us life. God gave us a purpose. God gave us a home. God gave us a relationship with him. And through sin, we somehow managed to squander all of it. And then God gave his first fruits, 1 Corinthians says. He gave the best of himself by coming to earth as Christ and giving his life, his very life, so that that relationship and that future home in heaven that we would have would be restored. God has not spared any expense in our lives because he is so crazy in love with us. It's his driving motivation every day, his love for you and for me. And God teaches us throughout the scriptures, I want you to experience what I experience. I want you to live the way I live. I want you to give and give out of love, not give by external motivation. I want you to give out of love because then you will come to understand my heart. Then you will know what it means to truly be like me. Most of us, we don't earn one big paycheck once a year like my dad and my brother do. We, we don't live in that, that time period in history. So you might say, well, Dave... How do we even apply this, right? I mean, how do you give first fruits in the 21st century? Things have changed a little bit since then. Okay, well, there's four things that I want to lay out for you this morning as we get close to wrapping up that I think will really help you with this, with this understanding of grabbing a hold of what God meant by giving your first fruits to God. Four things that I think will be very easy for you to remember, but things that you can hold on to and what it looks like to, to live into this in our, the day we're living in today. The first one is that we are to give control of our lives over to God and surrender. That's the first thing that we're to give. That is our first fruits, ultimately. God calls each one of us at some point in our lives. He, he chases after us all of our lives in love, giving to us, showering his love on us. And there comes that point when many of you have experienced this already who are in this room. That point when you said, God, I receive that love that you have selflessly given to me all these years. And now I choose to give that love back. I choose to surrender my heart and my life to you. To not just say, thank you, God, that's great, keep it up. But to say, God, I am going to give back to you 
through a life committed to you and surrendered to you. In Exodus 20, God says, you are to have no other gods before me, right? Now, back then, back in their day, that was really obvious when they had gods before him. That was when, because back then, the, those gods were gods that they made out of the earth, made out of clay and wood and stone, and they made them into the shape of bulls and other animals. And they gave them names like Baal and Molech. And those were the gods that God was saying to them, don't put those before me because in those days, that's what they did. But today, the gods that we put before our one true God are a little more subtle, aren't they? They're not gods that we stick on our mantelpieces made out of clay and stone. At least I don't think they are. Oftentimes, though, we find what those gods are when we open up our calendar apps and we look at our daily schedule. It's when we open up our checkbook or we look at our credit card statement. Those are the moments when we can truly see if there are any gods that we are putting before the one true God. In Matthew 6, Jesus says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then everything else will be added unto you. Putting God first establishes God's lordship and his control over your life. If you don't put God first then he isn't Lord. God isn't going to accept second place in your life, not second place to anyone or to anything. But when we put God first, Matthew 6 says, then God says, I will be glad to give you everything that you need. It's not about the stuff. It's not about me holding back. It's about me drilling into your hearts that have been broken by sin, how important it is to learn to give. So, number one, we give by surrendering, by giving our lives, giving control of our lives over to God. Second thing is that we're to give God our concerns, our cares, our problems. Now, you might hear me thinking that, and you think, oh, Dave, that's an easy one, right? I don't have any problem giving God my cares. Are you sure about that? Because for many of us, I would question whether or not we really are good at that. How many times have we prayed and we've given our cares to God and then the strangest thing happens. We say amen and then we just snatch those cares and concerns right out of God's hand and we take them with us. We just kind of, we don't really give those concerns, those cares to God. We just kind of let him borrow them for a few minutes and then we take them right back. And God says, "Uh uh-uh, I'm not happy with that. I ask you to give them to me and to leave them there. And we know that we're truly giving them to God and not just letting him borrow them when we're not constantly consumed in our thoughts by those things, allowing worry to come in and doubt. Number three, we're to give God our time. God asks us to give him the first fruits of our time, which means giving God the first day of our week each week. We come to the first day of our week each week on Sundays, and we're to give God our, t- our time by worshiping Him and by truly resting, by stopping our labors long enough to worship God, put Him first, and to rest. And not doing this occasionally on Sundays, not doing this when there's nothing else to do on our schedules, not just when we're struggling and we need a God boost, but every week as the first fruits of our time. You know, when my wife and I, when our son, when we were on sabbatical, it was been easy for us to just not go to church because 
no matter where we were, no way I spoke English. There was no worship services we could go to where we actually knew what they were saying. And on top of that, they weren't even Protestant. We couldn't even find Protestant churches. All we could find were Catholic churches. And they were, their style of worship is a little bit different than ours, right? And so it had been so easy for us to just kind of blow off Sundays and just make Sundays like every other day of the week. But there was something in us that just knew God has just spoiled us this summer by giving us so much. The least we can do is give God the first fruit of our week. And so oftentimes, we would, if when we didn't go into a Catholic service and just kind of stand there and wonder what the heck was going on, we would actually find time to go off on our own, the three of us, and we would worship God ourselves. We would do a devotional. Teresa would take out her iPhone and we'd play some worship music and we'd just take a moment, even out in nature sometimes, to just worship God, to pray to God together as a family and to put God first. And that's something that we can do regardless of where we are. Maybe, maybe we're called off on a work trip or maybe we're even on vacation and we think, oh, I can take a break from God this, this weekend. But God says, even that vacation is a gift that I'm giving you. Can you put me first even in that? The last thing I'll share with you this morning that we can do in the 21st century to give of our first fruits is to give of our labors or our income. And at a minimum, God says, giving back a tenth of what he's given to us. We put God first when out of love for him, we humbly and openly return back to God in this way. Now you might say, why do we need to do this? Why do we need to give a tenth back to God? Does he really need it? Or is it just about something that the church has kind of created as a way to kind of fund it? Well, God told us way back in the, in the book of Deuteronomy why he called us to give a tithe. Look at Deuteronomy 14, verse 23. God says, The purpose of tithing is very simple. To teach you to always put God in first place in your life. That's the reason we do this. God could provide the needs of the church supernaturally if he wanted to. But God says, that, that, that doesn't serve the purpose that I want giving to serve. I want to teach my people how to give because I'm a giver. And so I'm going to call them to give a tenth of what they make. Proverbs 3, verses 9 and 10 say, When we do this, when we give our first fruits, when we give our tithes and offerings to God, that God blesses us. God takes care of everything. Some people live outside the blessing of God throughout their lives, and they struggle financially constantly because they don't put God first in this way. Some, some of us, we want to, to tip God, to give a little bit of the leftovers after we make sure everything else is taken care of. Maybe give God a 10 or a 20 every now and then. Take care of a compassion child or give to a charity of choice and just call it good. And all those things are good. Please don't misunderstand me. But God says, I want a 10th to be the floor, not the ceiling. Because there's something in a sacrificial giving, not just giving a little bit about what's left over that allows us to truly experience the heart of God. God knows, guys, God knows that our money and our stuff is what can so easily hold us back more than anything else. Jesus himself said, our hearts are where our treasure is. If our treasures are all in us, then where do we expect our hearts to be? If we put our treasures first in ourselves, then God isn't first. And God doesn't tiptoe around this. Jesus said it's very hard for people to enter heaven 
if they haven't given control of their finances over to him. I mean, that's, what the, that's the story of the rich young ruler, isn't it? The rich young ruler, God, Jesus said to him, give everything to me. Now, why would God say give it all? Because he knew the heart of that ruler, and he knew that was what it was going to take for him to truly surrender, not just his cares and his concerns, his time, but all of him to God. God only allows one area of our lives, one area in our life to, uh, for us to test him, and that's around giving. Everything else in Scripture, we, it says, do not put the Lord your God to a test, right? But to trust him. But there's this one passage in Scripture in Malachi where God actually says to his people, I dare you to trust me. Put me to a test and see if I don't respond. He says in Malachi 3, see if I don't open up the windows of heaven and pour out such a blessing that you can't even contain it. God's saying, I want you to trust me in all aspects of your life, not just these, but even this one, even your checkbook. Because I know that if I have your treasure... God says, then I know I have your heart. The world says, buy this or that and it will make you happy. And God says, none of those things are going to bring contentment. Only I will. The world says, take care of you. You deserve it. Find satisfaction in this thing, whatever that is. And, and God says, everything that you have is a gift that I have entrusted to you. And God says, I need to know that you can trust me and that I can trust you fully, completely. That's the way it's always been with God. Take a look at this. Two men bring an offering to the Lord. One of the fruit of the ground, the other the firstborn of his flock. God accepts one and rejects the other. Why? Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. The word tells us clearly that the offering Abel brought was the firstborn of his flock. But it doesn't say that Cain brought the first fruits of his crops. It simply says, in the process of time, Cain brought an offering. Cain harvested his crops and over time gathered enough to bring an offering. It was an offering on Cain's terms. God accepted Abel's offering because it was the first of his increase. Cain's offering was rejected because it wasn't the first of his. Giving the first to God requires faith. When a firstborn lamb is born in a flock, it's not possible to know how many more lambs that you might produce. But Abel gave his firstborn lamb in faith, whereas Cain made sure he had enough for himself before giving to God. Many of us treat God the same way as Cain, making sure we have enough money before we see if there's anything left for God. Even if we give from what's left over, God can't accept the offering because it's not the first fruit. Other stories emphasize this truth. In the account of the fall of Jericho, the Lord gave strict instructions that the Israelites were not to keep any of the spoils from Jericho. All of it belonged to him, the Lord declared. 
Jericho belonged to the Lord because it was the first city conquered in the promised land. It was the first fruits. God withheld his blessing from Israel when one man took some of the spoils for himself. The first belongs to God. There was much more at stake than money when Abraham offered his firstborn son Isaac. When God asked for his son, Abraham didn't wait to have ten sons before giving Isaac. He gave the first when he only had one to give. Abraham had only the promise of having more sons. It took faith for Abraham to offer Isaac. Faith that God respected and blessed. And God did the same for us. He gave his first in the form of his son, his first and only begotten son, who was given to us while we were still sinners. God gave Jesus in faith that we might one day give our lives to him. The gift of his son came before the blessing of our repentance and salvation. We give our first fruits in much the same way. Before we see the blessing of God, we give it in faith. Giving the first fruits of your income says to God, I recognize you first. I am putting you first in my life, and I trust you to take care of the rest. I, I hope this message is sinking into you this morning. The world says you don't have enough. The world will always say you don't have enough. You need a little bit more, a little bit more. Hold back. Don't give everything because you need more. And God says to you, you have everything you need for life and godliness. God says, if you trust me with all of you and you're willing to give, to give out of a heart of love for me, I will take care of every need you can possibly have. But God says, me first. Not you, me. God says, put me first. God set the example in Scripture. From the very beginning, God gave us everything. God created paradise on earth for us, and we screwed that up. And then God gave us himself because he says, there's nothing that I will, there's no expense I will spare to have a relationship with my kids. And God says, as our parent, this lesson needs to be drilled in to our hearts and our souls to give. And to not give what's left over, but to give what's first to him. So, this morning, are there any areas of your life that we've shared that you're not giving to God first? Are there any areas where you're kind of, if you're honest with yourself, he's like, yeah, Dave, I am kind of giving God my leftovers in this area. Maybe it's your time. Maybe giving financially is really easy for you because God's blessed you in so many ways that writing that check is no problem at all to wherever God calls you to give, however much it is. But when you look at your calendar and God's calling you to serve, everything wants to pull back and be selfish. Because it's like, I only have so much time. God says, do you trust me? For some of you, to be honest with you, you have cares and concerns that you are not giving to God. You think you are, but you keep snatching them back out of God's hands every time you say amen. And God says, uh-uh, those are mine. That cancer, that wayward child or parent, relative, those are mine. 
that financial burden that you can't seem to get past, that's mine too. I want it. So what is it? What is it that you need to give to God this season? Do you, is, it, is it your finances? Do you need to truly give God your first fruits there? Is it your time? Is it your cares? Or maybe for some of you who are here today, maybe you've been, you haven't been going to grace very often, but you're trying to understand what a relationship with God will look like, and you're like, the first one is me. I, I need to give God myself because I haven't even started there. I've, I've taken control of everything in my life. And I'm recognizing that my first step is to just surrender my heart to God. Whatever that is for you this morning, I want nothing more than for you to give God your best. Now, in your programs this morning, there's a yellow sheet that um, Katie has designed for us this morning. I really appreciate. This is something that is between you and God through this series. And this is something I'll keep going back to throughout this series in November. It's an opportunity for you to wrestle with God on what, not only what he's given to you and to consider what he's given to you, maybe writing some of those things down, putting, reminding yourself even in the last year the many ways God has given to you so that you can cultivate a heart of gratitude before you consider how you're to give back to God. But then I want you to consider, how does God want you to give of your cares and concerns? How does God want you to give of your time? How does God want you to give of your finances? You know, oftentimes in November here at Grace Community, we encourage you to think about the new year and how you might give the first fruits, how you might figure out how much you might like to give to Grace in the coming year. It's not because necessarily we need to know, but for many of us, it's an opportunity for us to just have a moment with God. And so if that's you and you want to consider that, use this for that purpose as well. Maybe you're writing down other ways that you feel like God's calling you to give in this next year. But here's the last thing I'd ask of you is that when you're done... You can, you can put your name on this if you want or not. You can fold it up. And then at the end of a service, when you're maybe going up, maybe you're going forward to take a communion and you're reminding yourself of how, as John 3.16 says, God so loved you that he gave. And in that moment, as you come forward for communion, just drop this little piece of paper in the basket here as an offering to God for the next year, a chance for you to give your first fruits to God and say, God, I'm putting you first in my life. Would you pray with me?